recording. All right, welcome everybody to the 11th Media Buyers Manual episode. We are joined today by our guest, Sam Tomlinson. I am so happy to have you today, Sam. Um, I know you're extremely busy and thanks for working uh, your schedule into this. So um, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, where you're currently working and a little bit of your expertise in marketing. Sure. So nice to meet y'all. I'm Sam Tomlinson. I am the executive vice president at Warshawski. We're a boutique global digital communications agency. We're based in Baltimore, offices in New York, DC, and we are opening one up in Texas this year. So rapidly growing. Sweet. Other than that, I am one of our managing partners at our venture fund, which is called W Ventures, where we invest in uh, breakthrough startups, basically pre-seed to series A, in technology, consumer goods, um, really runs the gamut, but tends to be in those two. Yeah, uh, but we, we do more. Uh, and then finally, I also teach at Hopkins in Georgetown. So I teach classes for Carrie at Hopkins uh, on digital media, digital strategy, digital transformation. I also do other fun things like D2C finance. And then for Georgetown, I teach their D2C class. So awesome. we stay busy. Yeah, I was going to say, you definitely got the old rundown right there. So um, really cool that you're teaching that stuff. I didn't know they actually had DTC classes in the university at the moment. We're making one. Right. So That's... Georgetown, uh, I did one. It started at Hopkins, honestly. So I Hopkins had a bunch of people that were really curious when COVID started about, well, what do we do now? Because we can't open stores. You know, there's yeah. like this pandemic situation. So they were like, it would be great if we could do a a short thing like 30, 45 an hour on just D2C considerations. How do you start? How do you do it? What does it look like? You know, going from zero to one and then one to 10. I was like, all right, we can do this. So we did it. And a couple of people from Georgetown happened to be there and they were like, this should be a whole class. Like you should actually just build this entire thing into a class because we're, we have all of these students in our grad programs that are really interested in e-commerce that are really interested in, in building this are really trying to figure this out. And some of them already have businesses and they, they don't even know what they're doing. So can we, can we do this? I guess. Yeah. I mean, we have the content. You guys got an instructional design team. Sure. Let's make it work. So yeah, it, it's not common, but honestly, I'll give some credit to, to both um, to Hopkins for being very progressive and in, in, in featuring the content and Georgetown for, for running with it. So it's going to say like, definitely pioneering that space uh, in terms of teaching that because I have never heard of a single class for that and the applicability of it's just only going to go up uh, sure. over the years for sure so yeah. um, let's dive into some recent events uh, performance oh max this is something uh, that's really kicked off for a lot of PPC years um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on performance max how it's kind of pushing out smart shopping um, and how you see this whole thing evolving throughout 2022 so far. Yeah. So, I mean, performance, we've played around with performance max a little bit. Uh, we've also played with smart shopping. Um, yeah. in fairness, I think smart shopping does have like a really niche little niche application for, for a lot of brands. Like it, it can be good, especially yeah. if you keep some controls on it and you know, your numbers and you're, you know, you put the machine in a little box where it can succeed. I think smart shopping has been really good in those cases where you know we've, we we see probably hundreds of ad accounts a year that we do 
assessments for as we're vetting a potential client, as we're you know just doing a favor for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many where I just see like smart shopping is just the only thing they have going on, and there's nothing happening, and it's just a dumpster fire. I'm like, okay. So I'm, I'm we we've tested the performance max stuff, and you know obviously the advantage is it, it pulls together a lot of the different inventory, um, you know from from maps and YouTube to 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 display to discover. It, it, it's a search, obviously, but yeah, the thing that we've seen is Google's not particularly good at putting the right thing at the right place at the right time. So we've seen performance max campaigns really max your budget, but not max your results in terms of, you know, when you actually broke out the campaigns and you looked at, okay, they ran a search campaign with this spend, and this is the conversion volume that they got. This is the CPA they got. This is, you know, the actual CAC once you yep. cr- cut the crap. Dive in. Yeah, and then you then you look at okay, this is what they did on display. This is what they did on YouTube. This is what they did on, you know, whatever. Yeah, shopping. And then you look at the performance max stuff where it's all bundled together, and they spent the same amount, and they got half the results or a third of the results. And you're like, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, my perspective is that they're going to keep pushing this, and they're going to keep rolling it out, and they're going to keep trying. I mean, obviously, there. It was just a thread on Twitter today that some people got upset about where some Google rep was basically like, if you don't adopt our automated recommendations, we're going to increase your CPCs in some email. I was like, wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that, that seems like fraud. You shouldn't do that because it's number. I mean, fortunately, Jenny, I'll, I'll give props to Jenny who came in uh, as liaison and, and mm-hmm. clarified that that is not in fact the case, but like the, not a good signal to give. Not a good signal, right? But also like, oh boy, man, like you're really pushing on this if you're going to be like, let's make up some lies and send them out Mm -hmm. and to scare people. And I mean, I I do think that if Performance Max does a little bit of what Google thinks it's going to do on this, I I see a, a world where you know, they're starting to roll out performance max for search and we're going to start to see search max or whatever the hell they call it ultra pro max plus campaigns right aaron your your golf you, ball campaign <laughs> yeah if you know aaron levy and i we've been joking about that forever like google names stuff like golf club manufacturers like <laughs> ultra pro titanium campaign cool man tour edition for the professional tour marketers <laughs> like that's that's what they i'm like okay but You're hitting the nail I, I on think the that's head. where we're going, right? I mean, RSAs are becoming defaults. So that leads what, me into my months. next question. Um, the golden triangle. I saw a couple of your oh, thoughts God. on this. I, you know, I just got to dig in on, the, on things here. So what, golden what, triangle. Do you, what do you think of this? And how do you see um, smart PPCers taking advantage of the adoption of the golden triangle? So, I mean, the first thing I honestly thought of when I heard like this golden triangle nonsense was like, it was a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Not like, wrong. are we going to like steal the constitution? Like, is going to go like national treasure, the golden triangle? Like, that's what it felt like to him. But aside from like your bad branding, Google, um, I think it's, well, we've already seen each component of that triangle, each each side of the triangle pushed, right? Yeah. We, we've seen the RSAs are, Google's leaning in hard on that. They get really persnickety when you try to like pin stuff. 
Yes. Um, so obviously we know they're pushing there. Um, we know they're pushing very hard on auto applied recommendations and basically just give us our credit card and we'll handle the rest. Um, and we know they're pushing really hard on consolidation in broad terms because like every time you log into Google and you look at their performance suggestions, it's like go broad and then you go broad and you see hey. the most irrelevant crap the world has ever seen. And you're like, the part that gets me, I guess, on this whole thing is like, it's for really good PPCers, I think it's a huge opportunity, right? Because at the end of the day, if you think about how auction structures work, and if you think about how Google fills search demand, right? The more granular and specific you are, they have to fill that stuff first. And then the people that are broad get the crap that's left over because, you know, if you're Google, you're thinking, okay, for these really specific terms, I have an advertiser that's willing to bid more. I'm going to fill that order because I know I've got, you know, 50 Ponzi's back here who I yeah. can just, they'll take whatever, Jump on. Yeah. you know? Oh, they're searching for, you know, social media marketing. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't know. Best TikTok videos. That seems like it's a broad match. <laughs> you know, cat memes. That seems like it's a match for social media. Cat memes are on social media, right? But yep. that's that's how Google's approaching it. So a smart media buyer is saying, well, if they're going to push everybody broad, the smart thing to do is go real specific because I know that there's only so many searches that are going to meet that need. And Google's going to really want to fill that because if they don't fill that, they're not getting my money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a huge opportunity for marketers that are willing to, to be a little bit, to kind of zig where everybody else is zagging. You know, Google really wants everyone to zag. So in my mind, that says real hard, you got to go the other way because that's where there's value to be had. And that's where there's opportunity. So, you know, it, it works in the markets, you know, everyone else is being greedy. That's when you should be really fearful and everyone else being fearful, you should be greedy. Well, same thing applies to, I think in this particular market, it's just, Google's pushing everybody to zig, you got to go to the opposite. Exactly. And, you know, the benefit, the, the shitty part, candidly, is that there's going to be so many businesses, so many small businesses, so many little advertisers that are going to get bulldozed. Yes. That sucks. My job, unfortunately, is to make sure that my clients are not in that group. But I do think like as a marketer and as a person, that's really, 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 really terrible for lots of people. Yeah. But hey, my grandfather always said, you got to pay to learn. So a lot of businesses are going to pay to learn that Google does not have their best interest at heart. Exactly. There's going to be a steep learning cost for a lot of these people that aren't like keeping up with not even best yeah. practices, but just un reading between the lines more than anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I... I, oh my God. Yeah. I'm just kind of more mystified than anything. Like how I saw you kind of compared it to the power five of Facebook. And I was, I, I laughed internally because like it was pushed so hard, um, especially on Facebook. I'm like a Facebook first person. And I do know a little bit about PPC um, more, more than most, I guess. But like, I definitely saw the power five as like just something for them to get more data for themselves. So that they could kind of push further adoption down the line just so that they, they could perfect it essentially. Um, and I see that here too. I don't like personally being the first adopter to a new tech or something like that, uh, just because there's other people that are gonna burn their money first. And then you come in and you get their learning curve and results. Um, so in terms of that, going in for 2022 with all these changes of PPC, what are some best practices that you could give some of these smaller advertisers so that they're not getting burnt as bad as they potentially could. 
Sure. So I think, you know, the biggest one is you really have to shift your philosophy from positive targeting, which I think has been pushed for so long to negatives, right? I think negatives are critical. At the end of the day, you know, if you think about a picture, there's two ways to make one, right? You can either draw the lines and you let the white space do the talking, or you can cross out all the white space you don't want. And what's left is what you get, right? So yep. for so long, we've done the former. Now it's really time to do the latter because negative keywords are one of the last, I would say, bastions of sanity in PPC. So that's critical. And it's a pain in the ass and it's miserable and it's awful. Like no one on this planet enjoys going through a search terms report and adding negative after negative to your campaign. No one enjoys it. It is not no. fun. There is no Correct. joy here. The second I would say is audiences are a huge, huge thing. And I mean, again, we see hundreds of accounts a year. I would conservatively say that if I just went through like our audit log, 60 to 70% have no audiences added on search wow. campaigns, okay. which is insane wow. to me. Yeah. Um, and again, these are, these brands range from, you know, on the low end spending maybe five to seven grand a month on the high end. Some of them are spending millions a month. Right. And they just have nothing added. I mean, even if they're just on observation to start, you really should have them. Uh, you know, we've had, you know, brands come in that are spending, you know, candidly six figures a month and they don't even have their site audiences set up on Google. And I'm just like, what are you doing friend? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, if it's you really want to do money. this, like, you could just take a briefcase of money and go to the top of your building and dump it. <laughs> More people would pay attention to that than they are to your ads because your ads are going into the ether. Uh, but I think, you know, that, that brings me to the second thing, which is, you know, set up your actual, like real specific audiences. I'm actually doing a, a talk at Hero. I'm not sure when this is going to go live, but. Uh, the next week or so. Cool. So next week I'm doing Hero and we're talking a lot. I'm doing a thing on combined audiences and audience structures. And one of the big things that I really think is important is building really small audiences or like really niche audiences. So. You know, I do see a lot of like WCA 30s, right, from Facebook on Google. I'm like, okay, but somebody that went to a product page is really different than somebody who went to your homepage is really different than somebody who went to the careers page is really different than somebody that went to your about or purpose or, you know, mission, vision, value, whatever the hell thing you do. Go team. But whatever that is, they're all really different. So build your audiences for each of those pages because, again, as some of these you know, audience levers and, and some of this privacy stuff comes into play. And as we start to see some data de deterioration, that mm -hmm. signal is actually good. It's pretty robust. And, you know, it's a first party piece of data, right? It's where they visited your website. It's not a thing yeah. about them. It's a thing about where they, what, what they did on your website. So that's good. That keeps, and you can then really get specific and build stuff together. Like, Hey, you know, let's take all the people that visited our website, except those people that wanted jobs because I don't want to pay to advertise to somebody that wants to work here. I mean, unless you do, but you might, but you can really easily, you know, for some brands that we work with 30, 40, 50% of their traffic is to their career section. Wow. I mean, a lot of them, like, you know, we have like a senior living, uh, I work with a senior living client, right? Half of their traffic to the website is for careers. Yeah. That's wow. Well, I mean, that you think about, you know, a company that's employing thousands and thousands of people, they're constantly pushing, they're constantly churning people out. True. But you know what I mean? It's, it's literally half of the business. So, you know, in that case, there's a real easy way to cut 30, 40, 50% of your spend. It by makes just cutting those people efficient. out. Right. Yeah. Now we can, 
focus our whole budget on those people that are not going to get a job. Great. That's awesome. Right. But even a small employer, if it's 10%, if you can get 10% more for your money, that's great. It goes a long way. Yeah. It goes a long way. Right. That's, that's, that's real money or the stuff you can bank until the end of the year and put it on, on your Q4 campaigns. That's stuff you could pay your freelancer or your agency for stuff you could pocket. Right. It. No, exactly. But, yeah. Like that's huge. Yeah. And I guess the last piece that I would say is there are a lot of genuinely mad at this word nefarious um, little practices in Google ads. Like for instance, auto applied recommendations. I see that one way too often, right? Where, you know, Google's in, going in there and they're creating their own ads in your account and some of them don't make any sense oh no i know bad like you guys you guys can competently rewrite title tags of websites but you can't make ad copy like come on guys like can we just go borrow the google search guys in google ads for like two weeks maybe three do like a sprint or two and and let's fix this but it's bad. So I think, you know, number one, you really do have to negative out. You have to get real aggressive. Number two, add those audiences, start with observe, obviously, but then as you see audience performance changing, you know, definitely don't be afraid to target and bid because yeah. that's, you know, if you, Only you can give you a little more flexibility, right. hundred percent. And then number three, you know, don't let Google run your account for you. So it, it does require a little bit more effort. It does require a little bit more time, but you know, it's a lot better than, you know, I've seen like misspellings in, in the auto applied ads. You know, I came into that- an account and I saw the same kind of stuff and I was absolutely mystified that somebody let that kind of just happen and just, they took the hands off approach and you just saw it deteriorate so fast. Um, and then, I don't know, I, I've just heard so many bad things from that. So that is absolutely like vital to have that off. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, it's insane. But like, and you have to go hunt for that thing. Like, you have to hunt to it's find. Not, that yeah, it's thing. not easy. No, and I mean the other one I would say is really important is I do appreciate that Google put it in is the monthly spending limit for the account because it's a really good little thing, especially if you're the kind of person that's going to be going in there and changing budgets every month. Understanding how Google does budgeting. You basically need a degree in finance to understand how they calculate what your actual total monthly budget can be if you're changing it mid-month. I'm a big fan of just, hey, let's, we have our monthly budgets. Let's put an account spending limit on here for the month. And, you know, let's just be doubly sure because I've seen clients, I actually just talked to one the other day where, you know, they said we changed budgets mid-month and didn't realize that they could double it. It's 30, you know, they didn't realize how it was going to, they ended up overspending by, by, by five figures for a month just because of budget changes. And then again, Google has that ability to go 2X your daily budget on any given day, but not more than 30.4X your daily budget for a month. But when you change it, it resets. So there's, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuances in there where yeah. I think, especially if you're a small advertiser, that's not gonna be breaking out with spreadsheets to figure out, you know, what your blended daily budget looks like and how that works. You know, you're, you're, you're really better off having a monthly spending limit in there. And then, you know what, if, if at the end of the month you run out of money and, you, and you're okay with it, you can go ahead and, add, and, and increase. But at the very least, you have that confidence knowing that you're going to stay on budget. Exactly. It's always good, um, I think, to underspend than overspend. I'd rather go to somebody and be like, hey, I didn't spend your money for X reason, rather than I spent uh, two times for 
shit return. Um, I'm yeah. a firm believer in that one. So hundred percent. Yeah. And that's like the same policy as Facebook, right? Like we, exactly. we use a lot of cost caps in our bid structures because, you know, to me, it's better to not spend than to spend poorly. Yes. No, because I, the second, you know, you, you know, you, you spend at a, a sp- you spend a hundred bucks at a one X ROAS or a one X return, right? Then if I have a hundred dollars left for my month, right? Just using really small, e- yeah. easy numbers and my targets at two, I actually got to spend that second hundred at a three just to get to two. Whereas if I just would have spent, you know, $50 at a two, I've got 150 left and all I have to do is continue that performance. It's yeah. so much better to not spend than to your point than it is to, to spend poorly because of the catch up effect. Yeah. It's like, I I've known just from Google ads and running them. Uh, we have like a small team. So, um, I've seen that jump myself and I was scared shitless the first time that ever happened. Because like, I didn't know the full math of like, this is how much your budget's going to increase right away. And then somebody on the team was like, yeah, it, like you said, it resets your budget that entire month. So you're going to have those daily swings even higher. So I really, really recommend putting on those spend caps. Um, Absolutely crazy. Um, And then lastly, we're going to get away from the digital spend talk. Um, I just wanted to know your thoughts on the Philadelphia Flyers. I know you're you're a hockey fan. I'm a hockey fan it hurts. too. I don't get to talk about it to everybody. Um, so oh, it's I, so bad. I have felt your pain before. I'm a Leaf fan. Oh. We've we've just gotten better in the last couple yeah. of years, thank God. But um, I, I've definitely been there where you are, where it's shit. I mean, ooh, it's it's <laughs> hard to be. Uh, to be a Flyers fan right now. I mean, at least like as a Maple Leafs fan, you guys have Marner, you guys have Matthews, you've got, you know, JT came home, even if he's not like, you know, the JT of five years ago, he's still really Exactly, good. yeah. Got a core. Yeah, and I mean, Riley looks good. It looks like you guys have, you know, you're finally starting to figure out the uh, the goaltending situation. That's good. Yeah, we have no Siv in net finally. Yeah, that, that does tend <laughs> to help. But I mean, you guys at least have, uh, you know, you guys have some really young, exciting players that you can just be like, you know what? Go out and play. We can go. Yeah, we yeah. can go. And like you guys can score with anybody, which is, it's a really fun way to play hockey. Yeah, uh, it gives you a heart attack when you're watching sometimes. And you just see the net being filled by both <laughs> teams. But Yeah, for sure. But, you know, the Flyers so are averaging like 1.9 goals a game this year. Like, wh- I'm sorry, this calendar year, 2022. We haven't won yet in 2022. We haven't won since like December. That's something I wanted to bring up. I was, I just wanted to say like, how can you even watch a full game? Like when you see that right now, I mean, like I usually like let like a a period or two go. And then I'll just like fast forward on the DVR and just like watch. Cause I'm like, Oh look, we can't even break out of our own end. Okay. I guess this can be that kind of game. Oh, look, Keith Yandel is really old and really bad. Okay, that was fun. Oh, look, we just hung our franchise goaltender out to dry on a 2 one Wee! <laughs> it's fun, guy. Hockey's fun. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, you see Giroux out there trying to, like, will this team to victory. And I'm like, you know, I'm a huge yeah. Claude Giroux fan. Love the guy. I think he's criminally underrated by a lot of, like, the hockey men. Yeah. But, oh, my God, like, I don't understand how you get a, you know, he's probably top five, top 10 player of the last decade. 
Oh yeah, without a doubt. Right. Without a doubt. And you can't get him one person that can score goals. I'm like he's the best passer of a generation, probably. We're up there, right? Like obviously Crosby's great. Obviously, Backstrom is a phenomenal passer of the puck. Obviously, Patrick Kane is a phenomenal passer of the puck. But but Giroux is right up there with those guys in terms of his ability to see the ice and to move the puck. But, you know, he's passing to, like, I don't know, Michael Roffel, also a great human, but does not belong anywhere close to a first line on a real NHL team. You know, you have, like, Jerubian centered by Valtteri Filpola. Like, really? Like, he wasn't good 10 years ago third liner typically like the one thing that baffled me you guys brought back jvr um from the leaps and i i don't see him as anywhere near being like a a philly type of player just because i think he's soft like when we saw him in the playoffs when we would choke pretty much every year still do um (laughs) he like he would just get bullied around the net and that's what he is he's a net front presence so like i like there's been so many mistakes uh, and like, I don't want to harp on it for you because I can just feel like Oh, it's okay. But like Nolan Patrick, second overall. Oh, oh no. I mean, Ron Hextall should be fired into the sun for that pick. Like Walking, you can go back yes. and like, I tweeted that night that that pick was worse than JVR. It, I like, mean, I, I was a huge McCarr fan just because of the explosiveness. And I loved Pedersen because, you know, my philosophy, right. I am not a GM. That being said, I am better at being a GM than Chuck Fletcher. I will put money on that right now today. Like if Chuck wants to go pound like round for round, I will happily take his job because nepotism is bad, kids. If you need <laughs> proof, see Fletcher, comma Chuck, right? Like nepotism is bad. It's bad for business. Um, but you know, the thing that I always look at, I'm like, okay if you're drafting high, the one thing that I can always excuse is if you shoot for a guy that's got otherworldly skill, like one thing that you're like, you know what, you are elite at this and you suck at these four things a hundred percent because in my mind, it is so much easier to take somebody who is like a bad defensive player and make them competent than it is to teach somebody who is an okay shooter of the puck, how to have an elite release or an elite placement of their shot or elite velocity on their shot. Right. You know, I would rather have the guy like Elias Pettersson who can literally stick handle away from two guys in a phone booth and, you know, rip a one-timer. Mean, yeah. Right? Oh. Versus Nolan Patrick, who's a 200-foot player. I don't give a damn. You know what I don't want you to do? Have the puck in the defensive end. You know why? Because I want it in the other end. So if you can <laughs> The hardest that, place to score. Cool. It's you the hardest place to score same? the other team's end. Right? Like great that's awesome and like kale mccarr same thing people thought he was small people thought that he well you know what i mean there's this you know we see alex de right we, we passed on him for for pascal laburge uh whoops i mean Ooh. yeah exactly right <laughs> pascal i mean obviously you know I, you, you obviously want the kids to succeed but like alex de was really goddamn good and played with connor mcdavid like that guy seems yeah. good we should take him Right, but he's, he's little. played with an elite level player before. Oh, let's actually pass two, him. right? Because didn't um, who else was on that line? Uh, the was that Rome was there, I believe. Yeah, like there was. It's crazy. Yeah, they're the Erie Otters. They were just absolutely unreal in our like junior hockey yeah. program up here. And like, did Brinkat? I think put up like back to back hundred point seasons, and like it was phenomenal. Like, um, yeah. One, I mean, One thing that I, I really could never 
put my head around was like every time Philly would like get a defenseman, they would just ship out another one. Like Provorov, he's he's like a like I, I couldn't even tell you anymore. Like he started out promising, but like is he that good anymore? Is he that so, number one stud that you guys thought he would turn into? I mean, I think we kind of ruined him. Like, you know, Provorov, I really like him. I, I loved his game coming out of coming out, coming out of, um, of of juniors. He played in Brandon yeah. with with Patrick, which is how I got to see Patrick a little bit before his draft year, just because Provorov had been, had been set back, right? Um, and it was you know kind of fun. You can, you can stream the games online and you know just kind of see what. Get, get, get some hope for the future after, you know, the very bleak <laughs> early to mid 2010s of yeah, the Flyers, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, that was that was good. But, you know, the thing where he thrives is, I think, as like a number two. Uh, he's a really, really, really good number two. I think if you you give him the right system and the right structure, he he's awesome. But, you know, what we saw Philly do was bring in A.V., who's, um, I think he's a tryhard that, can't really try and can't really do anything well. So, you know, we, we saw AV ruin, uh, you know, three Hall of Famers in Vancouver and, and couldn't get it done with with arguably one of the best rosters of the of the late 2000s. The Canucks, you know, you yeah. have you had Luongo in there, who was probably the second best gen- goaltender since since Wah and Brodeur. They yeah. had a, a stud set of four defensemen. You know, they had Bieksa in his prime. They had. Um, they had Hamlies in his prime. They had Erhoff and they had um, yeah. the other one. Sallow. Yeah, they had Sallow. Um, yeah, they had Edler. Edler too. Like, that's actually a, yeah. a solid. I've never that's thought really of Alain Vigneault being like, because he even had New York just before right? they capitulated yeah. too. Like, yeah, and then not you had a good forward track. group, right? I mean, because you had. Um, you had Sedin's. the Sedin twins who were like, you know, two brilliant hockey players that shared a brain. Like exactly. those guys can do things that, I mean, telepathic across yeah. the ice. Yeah. And then you had, um, what's his name? Um, Kessler as your 2C, who was a, a Selkie winner and, uh, you know, top five course. Selkie four or five times in a row. So, like, yeah. really, you know, for 45 minutes of the game, you either have Kessler or you have a Sedin on the ice plus a good defenseman, plus a Hall of Fame goaltender, and you're telling me you can't win a cup? Like, yeah. what's wrong with you? Like, at that point, like, you should just be done as a coach. Like, that should be disqualifying. But then you go to New York Rangers, right? And it's a, you have the, I mean, I would say Lundquist is probably the best goaltender that I have ever seen. And that includes Hashik, and that includes Wa, and Hashik. that includes Brodor, right? Because, I mean, Lundquist, like, the guy's a machine. He's and he was absolutely efficient in the crease. Yeah, and he's like, like you know, you put you put Lundqvist in the game during the playoffs, and you're like, all right, guys, all you have to do is not screw this up, score like, a goal, score a goal, and they can't. And I'm like, you've got okay, you got Martin San Louis in here, you've got you know Kreider, you had um, you know McDonough in his prime, you had oh, Stall before he turned into a dumpster fire, you had you know. Like that's so true. How did you screw this up? Like how? Like you have to actually be back. bad. Like and then he came to Philly, and well, that was just a dumpster fire. But I think it goes back to like, you know, AV has like his thing, which is drinking martinis and being stupid. Um, but also like this dump and chase style of hockey. And I'm like, 
but okay, so the whole Flyers work. roster is built off of the rush. Like Provorov is a great example of a defenseman that is awesome at the rush, yeah. right? I mean, the years where he was really good, where people said, oh, he's a number one defenseman, the years where he's scoring 17 goals, where he's, you know, where he's Offensive really pushing, heads. right? It's the years when, when the Flyers are playing a rush-heavy style and, you know, he was able to come in that trailer role, use that great skating, use that great stick handling, use that great release, yeah. and and really create some space there because, you know, the forwards are actually controlling the puck on the possess- on possession. But, you know, when AV comes in and he starts to emphasize, like, either you're going to dump the puck in or you're going to get benched, you know, guys like Travis Konechny, who, who, were, who was on pace, who was almost a point-a-game player right before the, before the lockout for COVID, he was a multi-time 24-25 goal scorer. Yep. Go, go cold because he just creates off of the rush. And all of a sudden you're asking a small forward to go in there and retrieve a puck against big defensemen with no speed through the neutral zone. You're like, well, I wonder why this shit's going wrong. Well, yeah. and then, you know, Fletcher hires like Kevin Hayes for like seven years and $50 million. Like that's a case where you literally could have just lit the money on fire or given it back to Comcast subscribers. Like Kevin Hayes, great guy. I'm sure he's an awesome human, but really, really, really not Bad a contract. seven. Yeah. Not a $7 million hockey player. No. You know, JVR, not a $7 million hockey player. I mean, he's probably like a $5 million hockey player. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, there's only so many guys in the league that can score 30 goals. Yeah. Like, JVR is a guy that can score 30 goals. You think he put he yeah. popped 30 in for you guys a couple times. But, you know, to your point, he's a, he's a one-trick pony. And unless that pony is secretariat, it's not worth a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm going to let you, let you kind of defuse right now. I know that... Uh, might have popped a vein or something. Oh, it's fine. You know, we're, you, like, I feel like Philly fans are used to misery. Like we got one good thing in the last decade and that was the Eagles beating Tom Brady. Yep. Nick Foles. Thank you very much. Oh, Nick Foles. I love you. I will <laughs> always love Nick Foles because he, unlike Tom Brady, can catch a football. Oh, what a shot. I love that. We're going to end on that note. Thank you so much, Sam, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, if you want to plug anything of yours really quickly, by all means, do so right now. Sure. No, I mean, if you want to ever get in touch, Digital Sam I am on Twitter. Um, if you are looking for agency help, would love to talk. We, we do have a couple slots that we are opening up for this year as we're growing the team. So if anybody uh, does need some help with Google, Facebook, TikTok, uh, email, Etc. Would love to talk. Just Sam at Warshawski.com. So awesome. hope to talk to you guys all on Twitter. And thanks for having me. Really no appreciate problem, it. Kevin. I, I, pre- I appreciate you drop, uh, jumping in and uh, great conversation, uh, especially all the PPC and then diving into the Phillies or Philly, Flyers. Philadelphia Flyers. Sorry. Um, oh, that's, oh so- that's the other losing team we have. <laughs> I'm just harping on all the, <laughs> on the, the losing teams in Philly right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. We have, we have the six. The we have Embiid. We have Embiid. <laughs> get, we have I, I, will, I won't bring up. Yeah, I won't bring up uh, that we beat you guys in the finals. Yeah, that hurt a lot. Finals, least. It's okay. That was quite traveled. Yeah. Quite traveled. <laughs> the claw, baby. The claw. All right. Thank you right. so 